Welcome to the Food and Faith Podcast, conversations from the soil and around the table with your co-hosts, Anna Wolfenden and Sam Chamberlain. Hello, Food and Faith Podcast community. We are thrilled to have Siobhan Terrell, the community planner, community organizer, and food system planner, and the deputy director of the Black Church Food Security Network. Few listeners may know about the Black Church Food Security Network from our good friend, the Reverend Dr. Heber Brown. And we are thrilled to have another voice from this important movement. Siobhan is a rising and inspiring voice in the Black food and land sovereignty community, a child of the Deep South, a freedom dreamer, and a strategic food systems planner specializing in food and land sovereignty. She's the granddaughter of former farmers who have undergone economic exploitation, environmental racism, and the spiritual devastation through systems of oppression. Therefore, Siobhan's passion is rooted in Black self-determination, collective organizing, and reclaiming our right to agriculture. As the Deputy Director of the Black Church Food Security Network, Siobhan manages a local market that steers thousands of dollars and support towards Black farmers and small business owners. Additionally, she travels the country organizing and consulting with anchor institutions such as colleges, universities, churches, and grassroots organizing. Through this work, she advances local self-reliance in the food system. I'm guessing some of that travel is by Zoom these days, but her voice continues to resonate with many, and she continues to be an inspiring guide in this time. So Siobhan, we are thrilled to have you on the pod and we're so glad to get to have this conversation with you today. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to hop on to this podcast, my very first podcast, (laughs) and I'm excited to talk about the work of the Black Church Food Security Network and how we are pivoting through this revolutionary time. So Siobhan, it really is a joy to have you. And uh, it falls to me to ask the geography question, but I'm going to start by saying that Anna left out that you are a grad of Morgan State University, which means you are another Maryland person. North Carolina, Maryland is coming for you. We are going to win this. We are going to be a hub of this. And so, uh, so I'm so grateful to talk to a fellow Marylander. Um, I presume you enjoyed your time at Morgan State? I did. And I actually went to Morgan State for grad school. Oh, you did grad school. Okay. Yes, so I didn't have the full, you know, experience of going to uh, Morgan State and having that HBCU experience, Um, but I'm excited. So I actually got my start with working at the Black Church Food Security Network from a graduate program, a city and regional planning. So celebrating your connections to Maryland notwithstanding, um, can you tell us a little bit about your geography? That is, that is one of the highlights of every one of, our, every one of our pods is to get to know you a little bit and the land and the people, maybe even the food and the culture that has shaped you and brought, to, brought you to where you're at. Oh my gosh, so I had so much fun thinking through this question and, and trying to create a, a response for it. So actually, last week, I went home to Georgia. So I am a Georgia peach, a native of the Deep South. Um, my roots are in Leesburg, Georgia. Every time I get on like a microphone, my dad always say, represent for your small town, <laughs> represent for your small town. Mm-hmm. And Amen then to he, that. It is a small town. We have two street lights in the city limits, like two lights. 
Um, so I went home for two weeks and I actually went home trying to embark on like a healing experience um, because I found out so much about my um, connection to land by being here in Maryland and Baltimore and through the work that I'm doing um, that now I have like a greater outlook and a different outlook on like my upbringing and my roots. Um, so I went home trying to reconnect and find a deeper meaning to it. Um, and the main thing that really stood out to me during my time at home is like a sense of gratitude. Um, because one of my favorite places growing up was my grandma's house. Mm -hmm. um, and her house is on three acres of land. And that land was actually passed down to her um, by her father. Um, and my grandma actually passed away last year. So now this land has been in the family going on three generations. And this was my favorite place to be. Like, I loved it more than Disney World. Like, I went to Disney World one time, but I can't even remember. But I just love my grandma's house because she had um, peach trees, plum trees, fig trees. And then I just remember always going over her house every Sunday. I mean, not every Sunday, every summer and seeing her make preservatives, make her make jams out of the fruit that we would just go and get from the tree. Um, but I never tried figs until I went home because I was like, how is there a giant fig tree here? And I never tried it. So I tried it for the first time, but it was always more fun to me to pick the figs off the tree and throw them at my uh, cousin. <laughs> <laughs> you know, kids like find a way to like just make trouble. You, you can make trouble out of nowhere. Um, oh, even out of precious figs. <laughs> yes. Yes. So it was so much fun. And then how it shaped me. Um, my grandma house always it had chickens as well. So we used to always play a game where we would want to uh, get the chicks. So the chicks would follow after like the mama hen. Mm -hmm. And we would be like, okay, y'all, so let's go get a chick so we can take home and take care of it ourselves. <laughs> so I realized then that like my lane in the movement and my lane in the work is strategizing. I was the one that was like getting a game plan, getting the coordinates. Like y'all got to do it this way. Make sure you got your gear ready. But once I saw that chicken attack my cousin, I was like, no, direct action. <laughs> <laughs> I, let me just stay on the back end and create the plan. And like, let's pivot. So since the chicken attacked you, you can't take the chick home. Um, so I am so grateful to have those experiences and to be a child of the Deep South and bring those experiences everywhere I go and in the work with the Black Church Food Security Network. Oh. I just feel the richness of those images and the story and um, and that multi-generational land. I mean, that's something that's just so powerful. And I know it's something that, you know, Dr. Brown has been um, such an, a voice for and an advocate for the importance of the work of the Black Church Food Security Network in this idea that Black-owned land is, uh, often churches are, are holding that land and um, farmers and that connection to multi-generational land ownership um and of course you know the inverse in the ways that that land has been taken away or that access to even having multi-generational land hasn't been an option for the black um community and so i i would love you to fill in for us um there you are as a child with your cousins on your grandma's land and then now you're in baltimore and you have this role with the Black Church Food Security Network. 
how does that translate? Tell us a bit about what are you doing now and how is that um, strategic baby chick <laughs> um, catching, <laughs> uh, um, benefiting, and then how, how is that showing up, showing up in your work now? That's a great question. So I realized that, you know, I'm a strategist. So I am using those skills to uh, reimagine the assets of the Black church and how those resources, those assets, and even the institution of the Black church can be used as a model of community empowerment um, to advance uh, sovereignty in local Black communities, right? Um, and in regards to land losses, it was um, 1920s is when um, black folks owned the most um, amount of acres of land. Um, and it was somewhere in the range of 16 million. Mm -hmm. Today, we own less than 2% of that. And I think 2% mm. of that would be less than 2 million acres. Mm -hmm. um, so when you think about institutions within black, uh, uh, within uh, the black community that still are, um, that still have control over their land that are still like land, large land holding institutions, the first thing that comes to mind is the black church or historically black colleges, universities, right? Um, but so I am a graduate of Morgan State University in Maryland, shout out to Maryland, um, <laughs> as well as Tuskegee University, which is located in Alabama. And both of those um, HBCUs have roots from the black church. Mm. Um, so it was actually in Tuskegee when Booker T. Washington was called down to be uh, the principal uh, of the school. Uh, they didn't have any buildings, but they had the land where they wanted to start the school on. Uh -huh. So actually the, ch uh, the church, I think it was like Bethel AME, like stood up and said, hey, I have the resources. I have the kitchen. I have the, the uh, classrooms. I have a space where you can hold class, um, share resources with the community. Um, and Tuskegee University can actually start here. Um, so when Booker T. Washington was uh, teaching, educating the students, the first cohort of students, um, after class, they would go and build the bricks. <laughs> so wow. land is the basis, yeah. or like Malcolm X would say, like land is the basis of revolution. Land is the basis of freedom. Um, and because of uh, the Tuskegee, the black community in Tuskegee had access to that land and they had um, the resources that imagined to freedom during of what could be there uh, with the support of uh, community institutions such as the Black Church. So that's what we are doing now. I'm excited to witness the pivot in the Black Church community as it relates to like everything that's going on with the uprising, police brutality, COVID-19. Um, black churches have been pivoting once again to say, what is my highest and best use in this moment? Um, how can I show up and show out for my community and make sure that I am addressing the needs and providing resources? Um, to help my community. And that's why we have um, started the Faithful and Freedom Summer Campaign. Um, so the Faithful and Freedom Summer Campaign, we are calling all churches um, to connect back to agriculture. Mm -hmm. um, and then that's how I'm thinking about, you know, the chickens and the chicks. It's like, okay, <laughs> uh, we they got uh, Pleasant Hope Baptist Church sits on uh, 15 square feet of uh, land. Uh, well, not land. 
uh, the plot beside the church is 1,500 square feet. So I'm like, okay, we don't have any room for chickens or chicks, but you know what we got room for? We can grow sweet potatoes. So within the last three weeks, we planted some sweet potatoes um, to have that in late September, early October to be able to give to our community. So we've said, and we've, we've talked to a lot of guests about this, um, that this, this connection between education and church and land is not a brand new thing. It's simply something that is that has kind of always been present. And, and I hear you illustrating that in some really important ways that you have HBCUs who were connected to black churches and together um, came, came, came together over land. And so this is this, this movement is and Black Church Food Security Network is not a brand new thing that was sort of imagined out of nowhere. It really draws on the tradition and history of churches and black land ownership. Am I, am, am I hearing that properly? Yes, you are. And our work stand on the shoulders of our ancestors. Mm -hmm. This is not like a new idea. Like food insecurity is not like a 21st century phenomenon. Like if you look at history, like as long as black folks has been in America, we have been experiencing some form of brutality, right? Um, police brutality, some form of food insecurity. Um, even when you think about like the Middle Passage, our ancestors who came through the Middle Passage, they actually sold seeds into their hair in the form of braids to bring Oprah, to bring different types of greens. Um, so that's an idea that we always had and that's kind of embedded into our DNA. So we stand on the shoulders of our ancestors who have already figured out how to connect church to agriculture, to uh, connect the community to food through the church, uh, such as Mother and Father Divine. So in the midst of the Great Depression in the 1920s, um, Mother and Father Divine they purchased land in upstate uh, New York um, to grow fresh produce, to transport to inner city New York, to sell their produce through the interface, uh, the interface of the church to their local community. Um, and we stand on the shoulders of Vernon Johns, who was the predecessor of Martin Luther King at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. On Saturdays, Vernon Johns would farm, he would till the land, he would manage the soil, all of that. On Sundays, he would get up and preach. And on Sundays, directly at the church, he would be at the front porch of the church selling produce to the community. And that's where the idea of the Soda Sanctuary Market came from. And we also stand on the shoulders of Albert Clegg. So Albert Clegg out of Detroit had a vision of um, the church uh, connecting to, um, or the church part purchasing land in North Carolina. Um, and the land that they purchased is over 6,000 acres. And it's the largest farm in Black America. And one of the things that he wanted to do was connect rural farmers to inner city churches to sell the produce directly to those communities. Mm -hmm. So in a way, like through those three main examples, um, our ancestors kind of gave us the blueprint for the work that we're doing right now. Another thing I'm hearing as you're talking is this insistence on the connection between rural and urban. 
that in mm -hmm. other church contexts, um, we've divided those and kind of said, well, rural church does one thing, urban church does another. But it sounds to me like you're saying that there was, there's a deep understanding and connection that healthy rural settings and healthy urban settings are necessary to the health for each other, that there needs to be a, a, a deep connection between those two. Yes. So as people in the movement will always say that our liberation is tied to each other. And one thing that I always say is one church cannot fix food insecurity. One church and one farmer cannot fix food insecurity. One farmer by itself or himself or herself cannot fix food insecurity. But instead, it will have to be a comprehensive um, movement where everyone has a direct hand uh, in building a just food system. And that's what the Black Church Food Security Network seeks to do. Um, all of our work, much of our work is um, interdenominational. Um, so we are not tied to a specific yeah. denomination. We are not tied to a specific region um, because we know wherever we look, uh, whatever part of Black America you looking into, uh, there are, um, what well, food insecurity is an issue. Um, there are people who don't have access of, uh, to fresh food. And what we seek to do is flip that paradigm and say, um, y'all don't have access. We don't have access to food insecurity, but instead we're going to switch it and say, we don't want access. We want control. Mm -hmm. um, and we want control. So when the next pandemic happened or when the next crisis happened, we won't be going through the same experiences that we are uh, experiencing now as it relates to food. So I know hearing the stories of how the Black Church Food Security Network specifically started was after the uprisings after the killing of Freddie Gray. And, and it, in that, that, that uprising moment, right, in that um, the urgency, and here we are, you know, continued police brutality, continued police kill killings, continued food insecurity, I mean, all those things continued, and now we have this pandemic. So I'm curious... Tell us more about the Faith, Food, and Freedom Summer campaign. And was that something that was in the works prior to COVID? Or is this something that is responding to the moment? And I'm guessing that whether the original plans were in place or not, that you have pivoted significantly in the last four months. Um, and I'm curious to hear what does that look like? And, um, and what are you learning and finding in working at this intersection in this moment in history? Oh. Another great question. Um, so Pastor Brown and myself and the team of the Black Church Food Security Network, we are most definitely freedom dreamers. <laughs> um, so the Faithful and Freedom Summer campaign, the idea of it was actually birthed in this current moment um, because we want to be able to connect um, people back to agriculture and to create um, self-sufficiency communities, right? Um, because when you think about the pandemic and when the pandemic first happened, uh, grocery store shelves were empty. Yep. Uh, and grocery store shelves were empty. Uh, dollar stores shelves were empty. Like no matter where you go, uh, those shelves were empty. Um, so we wanted to be able to equip our community with the skills to not be dependent on those um, food retail outlets and those other outlets within your community. Because the one thing that COVID-19 has showed us is literally 
something can be here today and gone tomorrow as a result of market demands, as a result of um, like economic times, as well as one of the things that we notice is like the price of food has increased during this time. Like eggs are so much more expensive now. I think eggs probably are like five, six, seven dollars a car and depends on where you go. Um, and that's extreme. So the Faith Food and Freedom Summer campaign is saying we have the resources in our community. Like we have the resources within ourselves to not be dependent on those retail outlets. Um, so we have three aims of the campaign and just three goals, three things that we want people to do. We want people to connect back to gardening by promoting gardening. So we have a YouTube channel and on our YouTube channel, which is called the Black Church Food Security Network, we had a DIY series. And one of the things that we learned during our DIY series is how to regrow commonly purchased products from the grocery store. So we learned how to regrow potatoes and sweet potatoes. Um, so those videos are available on our website just in case people want to learn how to promote gardening. Like what is the first step? Because it's extremely overwhelming. Like I don't have space. So we make it plain and tangible um, for people to realize like you can use whatever space you have um, and you can just regrow the items that you already purchased from the grocery store. And our second aim is to patronize Black farmers um, because this is so important um, through like an equity lens as well as through like a racial agency lens um, because Black farmers aren't necessarily always the ones um, where contracts from those large retail, those food retail outlets are going to. They're not going to Black farmers nine times out of ten. So we want to be able to give them a market during this time so they can um, maintain their business structure. Um, so we created a Black Farmer Directory, uh, which is on our website, which is the blackchurchfoodsecurity.net, where people can go to this uh, Black Farmer Directory. It's an interactive map, so you can drop in your address and you can see farmers that are in close proximity to you. And then you will be able to click on the dot and you will see like the options, the produce they currently have available, ways to contact them, um, and the details of their current enterprise. And our last uh, goal is to practice emergency food storage. Um, because one of the things we can see now is like, there is like a resurgence of COVID-19. Um, that second wave is here now. Like a lot of people thought the second wave would be here in the fall, you know, after summer, but it's here now. So we wanna make sure that we are, while we are in a position to grow food, we are also in a position to preserve those foods. Mm -hmm. So on our website, we have food um, preservation workshops to teach people how to make jellies, jams, um, pickles out of cucumbers, how to properly freeze food, uh, how to dry food, and different things like that. So we are calling everybody to connect back to agriculture, um, to sustain yourselves during this pandemic, because we don't know how long it's going to last. Um, and I think winter will be different than how we are experiencing the pandemic now in summer, because now we are able to go outside, we're able to grow our food, but during winter, it's going to be a different experience, because in some parts, it's going to be too cold to have those social interactions. So now we want to think through what does resiliency look like for our communities as it relates to agriculture and how the church can be the anchor in building resilient communities.
And I think in speaking that way, um, you really illustrate, and that last piece about, about um, food preservation, um, it's something that I know in my experience growing up in, in sort of a, a white rural area, it's something that our grandparents did, but isn't really necessary anymore. You know, like we can always go get food. But what it does is it makes us dependent upon those who do preserve the food, whether it's positive or negative, whether it's healthy for us or not. Um, we immediately run out of food and have, have no storage. And so we're losing our capacity to feed ourselves. And so I feel like that particular thing um, of helping people understand how to freeze, how to can, all that kind of stuff, it does feel old fashioned, but what's old is always new again. It always comes back. But it really is about building resiliency in community and less and less dependence on corp corporations or those who would control the food system. So I hear what you say. What I hear you saying is, again, we don't want access. We want control. Right. Right. Yes. And I think this is the perfect time because a lot of people eyes have been wiped clean from the different lenses that we have been wearing in this experience. And we have seen that. People are losing their jobs uh, at disproportionate rates. People are being affected and dying of COVID-19 at disproportionate rates. On top of that, there's police brutality where people can, uh, where people record these interactions on their phone and now it goes viral on social media. Um, so that is also cleaning our lens, as well as we're seeing like food can be here today, gone tomorrow um, because of COVID-19 and the virus, um, which is so contagious. And I think this is a perfect opportunity um, for people to see how everything is interconnected. So Audre Lorde has a quote that there is no thing as a single issue struggle because we do not live single issue lives. And I think that's what this movement in this current moment that we're in is showing. It's showing that food intersects with everything. Like there was a time where the meat packing plants was gonna shut down uh, because of so many people within these plants were getting exposed to COVID-19. Um, so that affects the economics of the area. Um, that affects uh, the people who work there. Like if it's shut down, uh, then how can they provide for their family, right? So if the meat packing plant then shuts down, then that affects the stores um, and the people who buy the meat. So I think everything has been showing that it has been a ripple effect in this moment. And we have to think more long-term around how can we prevent moments like this from happening um, and how can we use our voice? How can we use our platform um, to spread awareness around these issues? And that's what the Faithful and Freedom Summer um, is aiming to do is spread awareness around the issues within our current food system and to provide a platform for people who say, I want to answer the call to action. I want to promote gardening. I want to patronize black farmers and I want to practice emergency food storage. Um, so we are also providing a platform uh, for churches who want to do more in this time um, and connect them to the larger work of the black food sovereignty movement. It's so powerful. I mean, I think the fact that the word network is in, in the title is, and that interconnection is, I mean, if there's one issue, right? It, 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 I mean, I think, you know, Lord's quote would, would point to this as well. It is that we are all interconnected and that our choices do affect one another and that our institutions and our communities and, and our, our food and our laws and our 
commerce, that these things and our faith and our, our churches and our faith communities are all interconnected. Um, and that there's this illusion that it's not right. There's this illusion of independence or this illusion of self-sufficiency and, you know, different factors can, um, preserve that illusion for longer, right? As privileges of various kinds can preserve it. And at the core, that is the true thing is that we're all, we're all connected in that way. Um, we often talk about how we feel like pulling the, the, the thread of food is, is such a fast way, a fast and powerful way to remember that interconnection. And that when we start to pull on that, and then all of a sudden look like, oh, food sovereignty, oh, racial justice, oh, oh. Um, and it comes, it, you know, it all kind of uh, echoes out. Um, I often think of that game you play at like, I don't know, like youth group where you take the ball of yarn and you, you say like, you know, anyone who has like a younger sibling, throw it across the circle and set, you have this web and then you start to pull on it. Um, so I'm curious, the intersection of food with the uprising and police brutality. Like, walk us through what threads are being pulled and intersecting there. Yes, so I definitely wanna start with um, food apartheid. Many black communities across America is experiencing food apartheid. And food apartheid is the systemic self-destruction of black self-determination to control our food system. Um, and that may look like uh, predatory marketing. That may look like um, Black land loss. Um, and that may look like overabundance of dollar stores, corner stores, fast food restaurants uh, within Black communities. So um, in 2015, the Black Church Food Security Network was founded out of uh, the Baltimore uprising. So during the uprising, um, many of the Black communities lived in, in Baltimore City lived in food apartheid areas. So therefore, they only had um, dollar stores in their community, corner stores in their community, McDonald's, Burger King. I can call them out because they're not healthy um, in their community. Um, so during the uprising, all of those outlets shut down. Um, they shut down because they're not a part of the community, right? So they had different assumptions of what that uprising meant. So that's why we are also rooting community control. Um, so uh, when everything shut down, uh, the community leaders reached out to Pastor Brown, who was the pastor of Pleasant Hope Baptist Church in Baltimore. Um, and this church, my home church, has been running a garden since 2011. So Pleasant Hope Baptist Church was known in the Baltimore community for growing food. Um, so I like to say when everything had closed down, in those communities during the uprising, the church was still open. People called the church and said, hey, I know you're growing food, can we get some? Um, and of course, 1,500 square feet is not enough land to grow food to feed communities. Um, so Pastor Brown connected with farmers on uh, the Eastern Shore of Maryland to transport food from um, Black farmers on the Eastern Shore to churches within those communities to distribute those food, that food to the local communities. And in a way, like that's the essence of the Black Church Food Security Network because uh, the churches are part of the community. Like a lot of churches are over a hundred years old. Um, 
Pleasant Hope Baptist Church uh, celebrated 85 years, I believe, last year. Um, so that church has been in the community for 85 years. So that church has experienced um, the highs and the lows of that community, right? Um, so that's why uh, our work is rooted in the, in, in the community and rooted within the Black church, because uh, that church is an anchor and has the resources to anchor those communities by providing food. So when everything else closed, that church is going to be there open. Like, I'm experiencing this too. Like, let's do something about it together, collectively. Um, and how does that relate to now? Because there are so many churches that's connected with us, connecting to us um, through the Faith Food and Freedom Summer campaign that's saying, I'm experiencing these same issues mm -hmm. in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, um, on top of COVID-19. Uh, what can we do right now for our community? Because I know the Black Church Food Security Network has a blueprint through the Soil the Sanctuary Marketing Operation Higher Ground. How can we implement that where we are currently? Um, and that's what we are doing. We work with churches to reimagine their assets for community empowerment um, in the food system. And I'm just, I'm so grateful for the message because it's so full of hope. Um, and, and that's where I want to go with our, with our final question. One would be honoring of your time. Um, but before I ask that question, what, what, what brings you hope? I want to say that we haven't talked a lot about, about church, but here you've landed at the last, at, at this last point about what a hopeful vision for church is in this moment that, I mean, we're all asking questions about, you know, what does future church look like? I mean, I serve two congregations that right now aren't able to be open the way that we would like to. We're still doing a ton of stuff, but we're not able to. So what is the church doing? And here we've talked about food and faith and all this kind of stuff. And ultimately you've brought it and saying the church is still right at the center of the community. And so there's such a hopeful vision for what church can be and may very well need to be. We may, you know, and, and certainly you have brought a lot of hope to that. So I just wanted to say that I'm like, I'm hearing this hopeful message of church um, and the role that it plays in our unique community. So I'll give you a chance to respond to that. And then I'll ask the hope question. <laughs> Ella Baker says, give light and people will find a way. And in, the, in, in a sense, I think that's what the church is. The church is the light, the beacon of hope during this time. Um, because the institution of the church have withstanded so much in, in America. Like the institution has been around since uh, slavery, working as hush harbors, um, leading people to freedom uh, from segregation, from the founding of HBCUs in 1881, shout out to Tuskegee University, um, to currently um, pivoting uh, to create a food system. So that gives me hope uh, to see the evolution of this institution and how this institution has historically and is still today um, finding ways to really anchor and sustain um, the Black community. Because I can be honest, I wasn't living in 1600, <laughs> but I, it gives me hope to see that there was people thinking about these issues during this time, and there was people that was passionate about Black upliftment and Black empowerment, and it was kind of embedded into the DNA of the church, whereas from the 1600s, or, yeah, from the 1600s um, to now, right, um, in 2020, that DNA is still here, and that DNA um, has provided a blueprint for our work. So do we want to let that stand for hope, stand in for the hope question? Because it was unbelievably hopeful. <laughs> or I can ask, what brings you hope? 
Well, I think we need to honor that we asked, you know, you may have prepared an answer to the what gives you hope. So I want to ask it still, (laughs) just in case there's more you want to say. I want to hear it. Um. So I didn't prepare an answer. So all of this is just based on passion. Exactly. So bring it on. <laughs> okay. So what? Um. So honestly, what gives me hope? I. This is a deep question. Um. I get a lot of hope from the people around me. Um. I really get most of my hope from my family. Um. And looking at my parents and and seeing how much they endured, but they still had a smile on their face the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, how they set up uh, the opportunity, the framework for me to be here advocating for my community. So I give hope to uh, legacy. Uh, I get hope from legacy because I think in a lot of ways I am continuing the legacy of my ancestors who uh, worked tirelessly for me to be in this moment. Um, There's this quote that I saw on social media that said, um, I am my ancestors' wildest dreams. And then it said, no, I am not my ancestors' wildest dreams. I am my ancestors' legacy. Um, Mm -hmm. They already imagined this moment. Um, That's why they advocated. That's why they marched. That's why they um, protested. That's why uh, they did the work that they did during that time for me to be here doing the same thing to continue the the work of it and to pass the torch to the next generation. So that gives me hope that I am uh, participating in this long-standing legacy of empowerment for my community. I'm so glad we asked you the question again. <laughs> Thank <laughs> exactly. you for that. Yep. And I will sit with that. You know, we often talk about, we, when we talk about hope, that it's not, it's not that kind of like easy, you know, like, oh, hope. <laughs> but it's that deep enduring that getting up the next day, still having a smile on your face, continuing, knowing that the work that we do is both rooted in our ancestors and for our descendants. And that, that you know, we're interconnected right now, but we're interconnected through time as well, what right. it has been and what will be. Um, so I will be sitting with those words and I, I thank you for them um, as I'm sure our listeners do as well. So how, how can our listeners honor your work and the work of your movement at this moment? I, I encourage our listeners to go and check out the Food, Faith and Freedom Summer Campaign to connect back to farming, patronize black farmers, even emergency food storage, yes. Um, what else and where can people connect? Give us links, charges, recommendations, all the things. Yes, so I encourage everyone to head over to our website, um, www.blackchurchfoodsecurity.net. And on our website, you will be able to see resources on how you can do those three things, promote gardening, patronize black farmers, practice emergency food storage, as well as if you want to contribute um, to the Faith Food and Freedom Summer campaign, then I encourage you to 
um, contribute the best way you know how. We have a social media kit. So if you want to share our resources on social media, um, you are able to download our flyers with the template caption and share and spread the awareness to your networks. If you want to make a financial contribution and plant a seed into our organization, um, we have a donation link as well. And our goal for the Faith, Food, and Freedom Summer is to recruit 100 churches um, to join the Black Church Food Security Network and to answer the call to action of being an anchor in their community, as well as we have a financial goal to raise $100,000. So every church that we are in partnership with, we give each church seed funding to start their program. So we give churches up to $1,000 seed funding um, to build or raise this, to buy the soil, um, to buy seeds, as well as um, to get their soil to sanctuary market started. Um, so that's what you will be con uh, contributing to. Um, so I encourage you to connect with us through this historic movement called the Faith, Food, and Freedom Summer. Wonderful. And get on the newsletter list, follow on social media. I also know there's article which we'll put in the links um in the show notes that we didn't get to talking about but um grace and glory article that um i'm looking forward to reading and i'm sure our listeners will as well and we will look forward to having you back on the show in the future and hearing about how things continue to evolve and thank you for your work thank you for your words thank you for sharing your leadership and guidance for us and Let's uh, keep doing the good work. Yes, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Food and Faith Podcast. Our collaborators are Wake Forest School of Divinity, Plain Song Farm, The Garden Church, and The Keep and Till. Editing is by Derek Weston, and music is by Paul Deemer. Follow along and keep up to date with the podcast on Facebook at Food and Faith Podcast, Twitter and Instagram at Food and Faith Pod or on our website at foodandfaithpodcast.org.